Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope you didn't miss me too much last week while I was playing in Tampa Bay, but I sure did have a wonderful vacation. But now I'm back and ready to do this again, and I have an Emmy Award-winning person that's going to be the guest on my show today, and I would like to introduce you to Brady Connell. Welcome to the show, Brady. Thanks, Marcia. Great to be here. Appreciate it. Well, it's, it's wonderful, and, and, you know, people ask often, how, how, do you, how, do you get, how do you get your guests on your show? And, and in the case with you and I, we actually met at your Rotary um, meeting um, a month ago, and it's something that I think that I may end up doing as well, but I, I'd like to just let our listeners know, because I know that you are a humble man and you probably aren't going to say all of this, so I want to. Um, I want people to know that you are an Emmy Award-winning executive producer and a showrunner, which I'm going to ask you what that means because that's a glass, glossary term I'm not familiar with, and director of um, a vast amount of television shows. Um, the one that we're currently watching right now is called the Great Christmas Light Flight, which is airing right now. But you've also done shows that many of our listeners are familiar with, Survivor, The Amazing Race, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. You, won it, uh, you were a recipient of an Emmy for two of that. And, and then I, what I think is so remarkable is that you have received some wonderful awards. One that just strikes me as being just so fabulous is the United Nations recognized you and your team with the Peace Award for the most positive television show in the world. That that makes me clutch my heart, Brady, to be honest with you. That that's a that must have touched your heart as well. And we're going to talk a lot about your experiences in this world that you live in. And I'd like to just really kind of start out now by getting to know you and getting to know more about you. So what what tell us about how you started your path into the entertainment world how how did that how did that start for you well like most people it was uh it was all a big accident <laughs> you know <laughs> entertainment is inter- entertainment is not an easy you know career to break into as everyone knows i mean people come from all over the world you know to to break in entertainment whether it's as an actor or as a director and uh, and if you don't know someone, you know, or you don't know someone who knows someone, uh, you pretty much have to start at the bottom, no matter what your job is. Uh, and I did that. Mm-hmm. I, I even though I went to UCLA, I was lucky enough to go to UCLA, and I grew up in LA. I grew up out in the valley in San Fernando Valley. But it wasn't until like my very last year at UCLA, I was studying history and political science. But the last year, I, I took a history of film class, and suddenly, like all these sort of creative juices started flowing. And I was 21 years old, 22 years old. And I, then I started taking a bunch of film classes and there were some internships that went along with those classes. And uh, that was how it started. I just did a couple of internships um, that, you know, literally pouring coffee and running errands around town. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, remember, I remember going to the grocery store, buying food for my bosses. It was, it was uh, you know, it was definitely don't need a college career to get started in the entertainment industry. <laughs> and then it just sort of went but from you there. Know, I just kept, that's, kept working Go ahead. On. No, no, that's fine. It's really, it's really interesting because what you don't know about my personal life is that my daughter also went to UCLA, and she hmm. studied theater arts. She she got a theater arts degree from UCLA after high school, and rather than go in your world, she actually is in construction, um, major construction. She's she's that, so she performs on a different level. So it's 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 always interesting when you talk to young people and they're and they're thinking about college because you have a couple of kids, right? You're married with two children. Oh yeah. Yep. And um, you don't know they don't always know when they go to college 
uh, what the, what they're going to do. Did you know that you wanted to go into film when you were studying? Did you have that desire? No, you would think that that I would have known. And my dad actually was kind of a writer, artist guy. He worked, um, you know, in com- the comic book world and wrote wrote a bunch of uh, of uh, comic books and created comic book series. And uh, I, you know, so I was sort of hmm. interested, but not I only as a fan. I mean, I loved watching television. I loved watching movies, just like everybody else. But for whatever yeah. reason, and maybe it was because my dad was trying to dissuade me, I I never considered it a career. Like I said, until my final year in college, and I think that's what college is all about. You get to experience, you know, exposed to all kinds of different things, and by the time mm-hmm. you're done, then it's time. Then you need to decide. You don't necessarily have to study what you're going into, at least on the undergraduate level. If you want to go into graduate school and really focus, that's another story. But for me, it worked out great. I, I actually felt like feel like I'm a better producer and a better director because I had a general education in college, rather than mm-hmm. learning all about film in my undergraduate years. Because then I would get out of college and only know about film and not know about the world. And, uh, it's important to, right. to learn both. Did you ever have any interest in being in front of the camera? No. I mean, maybe as a 12-year-old, I thought, oh, that looks cool. <laughs> but, um, but no, I never did. And I, I was, it, it was discussed. Like, people would bring it up to me, but I'm just, I just don't have the personality for it. I'm definitely a behind-the-scenes um, sort of event planner. You know, I love, I love gathering a team of people together to accomplish a creative goal, and that's really what gets me, gets me going. Mm-hmm. I don't mind um, – I've, I've actually considered uh, – because there are a few ideas I have for, uh, for reality documentary-type shows that I, I, I would be the ideal host for <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's a topic that is really near and dear to my heart. But in terms of acting, never, never considered it. And, I, and I, I, that's the only thing that's harder. You know, to be an actor in this town, it's harder than being a director or a producer. The acting, the acting direction is a, is a long road. But you have to, you have to be very yeah. passionate to, to follow that. Did you always want to do TV? I mean, once you decided that this is what you wanted to do, was TV sort of your thing? No, it's funny. Not only did I not think about going in entertainment early, you know, when, when I, when I started, (laughs) but I also Mm -hmm. didn't think about going into TV when I actually started working, I wanted to do film just like everybody. And this was the, you know, the early mid eighties, everybody I knew wanted Mm -hmm. to work in film, 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 film. And, you know, everybody wanted to be Spielberg or Zemeckis or, you know, Coppola. And that was my, that was my original goal. So I, I wrote several scripts and sold one. And then I, um, uh, directed numerous short films, all with the intention of directing feature films, because those are the kinds of stories I was most attracted to. I was a history major, so I thought, well, I would love to combine my love of film and history and make large-scale, um, you know, feature films like like Gandhi or you know, Dances with Wolves or right. or you know, all, right. those types of sh- those movies or Glory. I mean, mm-hmm. I just love those historical epics, Schindler's List, you know. And so that was my goal, but yes. uh, it's pretty tough to make tough. To, you can't just jump right in. <laughs> get a hundred no, million dollars no, to make your probably... giant historical epic. So I kept getting calls for well, television and I just happened to know somebody who worked in on rescue, rescue nine one one. I don't know if you remember that show back in the early or late eighties. And yeah, mm-hmm. and that was one of the very, very earliest reality shows way before survivor, a full decade before survivor. And uh, so I went out in the field on that show and that was just work to me. I just was out there running around coordinating and, uh, and, you know, being like a production manager type person. And but mm-hmm. with always the intention of bringing, bringing those skills back to film, uh, but then and then suddenly you know after five to ten years of that kind of work just continually falling in, in my lap, uh, that's when I finally decided to embrace television and not necessarily worry so much about film. And and of course, sorry, that's such a long answer, but when Survivor hit no, no, in no. two thousand. Mm-hmm. Then everything mm-hmm. changed, you know, in, in the nonfiction television space. Um, before that, all through the mm-hmm. 90s, it was just, you know, entertainment shows. And I worked on wildlife shows and, and uh, had a great time. And I got to travel the world and I was getting paid, you know, to travel, which was fantastic. <laughs> but when Survivor sure. hit, and I just happened to be in, in sort of the right place at the right time working on Survivor, then it was clear to me that I could actually make a, a living, you know, working in the nonfiction mm-hmm. television space. And so I just decided mm-hmm. to ride that wave through the 2000s. I think that um, for many of us, you know, everyone has their own television personality and how they want to watch TV. If, if you're a sports person like I am, oftentimes uh, we, we, we record and, I, and I'm, gonna, I'm frankly going to watch a basketball game before I'm going to watch that reality show that I'm recorded. Um, but so, and, and you, you mentioned some of the shows back in the 80s where we were watching a lot of sitcoms or 
or, you know, there was a whole genre where everybody was a lawyer or a doctor or something like that. And, and we, grew, we grew up watching these stars, and we, and we felt like we got to know them. I personally enjoyed the reality television shows, whether it's cooking, dancing, singing, decorating, surviving, you know, racing. Um, I, I personally enjoy those shows because I'm sucked into the story. You know, that's the reality. Um, I am sucked into that 23-year-old kid that we're going to talk about in a little while that that loved inflatables. It's like, what? It's like, what are you talking about? How do you you love inflatables? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. You know, but so I'm sucked into the story. And when it's it's well-constructed and it's live and it's people and maybe they don't live where you live and they don't do what you do and they don't get on the amazing race and go around the world and you say, oh, but I was there. I remember what it was like to see that. You know, I I love that kind of sort of unscripted, scripted kind of television. So for me, I can see why why you love it. And this great, this great American, uh, this great American, the great Christmas light fight, uh, it, we got to talk about that because that, that's really happening for you right now, isn't it? Yeah, and it, it's you know started out as a very small show. It was just a uh, tiny mm-hmm. little uh, low low budget show that ABC ordered back in 2013. Uh, they just had some slots you know to fill during their Christmas season, and they asked us if we could put together a Christmas lights competition show. So we developed the format and went out there and found you know a bunch of people who have Christmas lights and shot it, and it did really well. Like it did five you know <laughs> five uh, um, points higher than the show that had been in that time slot. Uh, previously, and so we wow. were very happy about the ratings, and then it just went on from there. We're now uh, we just finished shooting our seventh season, so who would have thought that a small little Christmas light show would would stick around? But we've seems to we seems like we've become sort of this um, you know family holiday viewing tradition mm-hmm. uh, now that we're in our seventh seventh year, and I'm very happy about that that we're just providing some some good old fashioned family friendly programming that everyone can watch together. There's there's obviously a shortage of that these days. So that makes me happy. But, yes, we're airing right now, which is fun. And you're right about what you said. You know, I, I, my children are married and, and out of the house. So I don't sit around and watch, you know, family television with them. However, um, when my, my son and daughter-in-law will be in from Tucson um, at the end of the month, and we will absolutely watch TV together. And my son quotes things, you know, I mean – he grew up on with the Jeffersons and and all these different shows and family ties and whatever and he he quotes things and 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 we laugh about it you know all these years later because family friendly television was was what we grew up with but something big is happening for you tonight this particular night right for your all stars are you having a special show this evening? Yeah, that's right. We uh you know, given that we've been on the air for a while now, it was time for a uh, sort of a special, a retrospective special. So we put together an all-star special, which is, uh, I think it's 30 different displays out of our 140 or so that we've done around the, around the country over the last uh, six years. Um, and it's basically, uh, you know, a bunch of categories for all of these displays. And uh, it's the best of the best over the last, over the last, over our first five years. So if anybody, if, if there's mm-hmm. anyone out there who's never watched The Great Christmas Life, which is totally fine, <laughs> and, you, and you might want to watch yeah. one hour, this would be the hour to watch. It's called the All-Stars Special, and it'll give you a taste of what we've been doing for the last five years. As far as I can tell, nothing is uh, slowing up. Our ratings this year are higher than they've ever been, which is really unusual in, a, in the world of ratings because they, they have been declining mm-hmm. for most of the broadcasts, most of the broadcast shows. So, um, so we're very happy, and uh, and yeah, if you want to tune in tonight, ten o'clock, uh, or at least DVR it. It's called the Great Christmas Lights Fight All Stars Special. And and there, you know, it, it's pretty cool. And like I said, when when this season's first episode started, what it was like it was like two weeks ago. When did it? When did it? That's right. When did it start? Yeah, that's right. We are, this so year, I the was first time we aired it. In, it, it Oh, sorry. We just we we usually don't air in December, mm-hmm. but this year we aired in November. We aired the first Thursday after uh, after Thanksgiving, so uh, we've been on. We're on for four right. months this year. Right, and 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 you know it, it's really interesting how you know this 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 inflatable guy. I mean, I, I this twenty three year old kid. I'm still thinking about him. And what do you want for Christmas? I want an inflatable. Um, you obviously have to live, and he. I, I'm trying to remember. Was was he in Florida? I can't remember where he was located, but 
Um, yeah. There's a lot of property, you know, and, and the same with, with some of the other people that, that have set up these incredible lights. You know, there's a, some of these folks have a tremendous amount of property where people can really stroll through their through their acreage. A lot of us, you know, don't have that kind of, um, you know, space to do these these things. But I, I do think that, like you said, it, it's really fun to watch. And it's and the imagination and the, and the effort, the effort. I mean, it wasn't like this kid did it by himself. His mom, his dad, and, you know, just blowing all these things up. And then you've got weather. And, oh, it's like, oh, my God, it, there's, there's, a, there's a, an awful lot um, – um, to do to to do with this, but it is a competition. Am I right about that? Yes, we when we originated the format, we thought you know it, it might take uh, you know some convincing to to get all these people to put their lights up you know for us at the at the right time of year so that we can videotape it and have time to edit it. So we thought it should be a competition, and it's actually a fifty thousand dollar prize, which is a lot of money for each episode. So in each episode, there are four families competing against each other and one of those four so it's a one in four chance of winning fifty thousand dollars which is fantastic so then there are multiple episodes a year we do at least six episodes a year so that's three hundred thousand dollars that we're giving out you know during the entire year over the course of the entire series we've actually given out more than one and a half million dollars to families for putting up christmas lights (laughs) which is amazing and that is, yeah, I mean, it is kind of, it, it is a bit of a chuckle when you, when you really think about that. And you mentioned that um, your ratings are, are going up, aren't they? Why do, you, why do you think that that's the case? What, what do you think is making your ratings so strong right now? Well, it's a really good question, and everyone, of course, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no expert, you know, in this area, but, uh, but everyone is trying to figure out, you know, what people are watching, when they're watching it, why they're watching certain shows. And uh, if there's anything I've learned in this business is that no, nobody, nobody knows anything. <laughs> you just do your best. You put out a good product and hopefully people find it. But, you know, good shows mm-hmm. are canceled all the time. So who knows? You know, it depends on the competition. It depends on the time of year. But for us, uh, when we started, I do think we caught a little bit of a wave because all of the um, videos were out at that time. So a lot, there were a lot of viral videos of Christmas lights displays. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a certain mm-hmm. technology that was coming out so people could program their lights, you know, to the music. And right around that time, 2010 to 2013, you started seeing these, these uh, videos going viral. And I think that's why ABC wanted to do the show. They thought that maybe we could catch that wave. And I think that's what happened. So people were really curious about lights, what you can do with lights, first of all. And then I think on a deeper level, I really do believe that people are seeking feel-good shows. There's so much, you know, mm-hmm. there's only so much CNN and MSNBC and Fox News that you can watch before you just want to change the channel and have a, have a, have a, a, a good laugh or at least feel good about someone else, you know, for a little, little while. And that's what happens here. And it's, it's classic storytelling, too. We have individuals who are really passionate about something, and they have to put their lights up in time before the judge shows up. And then they, you know, they're seeking to win an episode and somebody's going to win $50,000. It's a really simple, basic story. And, and there's always a happy ending. And so people, I think, are just looking for good old-fashioned entertainment. Really? How, so I know people maybe are listening and think, well, dang, I want to get involved in this. How, how do you find your contestants? How do people... How do, how do people get involved if they wanted to do something like this? It's actually very easy. So we've had, because we've been on the, on the air now for a while, we actually have had people who had no lights, watched our show for two years, then decided they wanted to try it, and three years later they were on our show and they won. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's not impossible. Wow. It's, uh, and you don't have to have hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, as long as you – are creative and you have a, a unique vision, you know, sort of artistic vision of what you want to do with your lights, um, people can get into it. And we're actually self-sustaining now. So there are enough new people getting into it that we have no problem casting uh, the show each year. And the future uh, looks hmm. looks bright, <laughs> as you might say. But it's very wow. easy. You just uh, well, apply on abc.com. So first, yeah, right, right. <laughs> so first you have to decide <laughs> that you want to be on the show. Uh, and then, right. you know, bring your lights up to a, a level where you can kind of compete. And it doesn't have to be a huge property. Like you said, we've had tons of, of homes that are small, typical residential homes. And just because they do a really good mm-hmm. job of, of, of being creative and doing something different, they do well. And some of them have won. 
So no one should, um, should, you know, should cut themselves out of the possibility if they really love Christmas lights. And they can go to abc.com slash casting, abc.com slash casting to, uh, to apply to be on the show. Or if you know someone who has a great display and they, for whatever reason, haven't applied themselves, you can nominate someone also at that website. Oh, that's, that's great to know. So I'll make sure um, if, you know, if somebody forgot to write that down exactly, I'll make sure I include that in my blog so that people can know okay. if they want to participate in that. They just go to abc.com forward slash casting. That's great. So that's right. I'm, I mentioned at the top of the hour the fact that you are an executive producer and that you're a director, but I honestly don't know what showrunner means. What, what does that mean when you're a showrunner? Well, it's a really good question. And a lot of people, you know, understandably, why would you know this if you weren't in the business, you know, don't know the difference between a right. producer and a, and a director. Yes, and it, and it's, exactly. it's different in, in film and television. So on the film side, the director is kind of the, you know, the final say in terms of what's actually, you know, going on camera and, and what's going to be edited. So the director is, is ultimately the visionary for a film. And there are certainly there are producers and executive producers, but they're all sort of serving the um, you know the vision of the director, and as it should be, there needs to be someone like that who's at the helm. And then in television, it's really I don't know how this happened you know uh, historically, but basically the person who is you know kind of in charge of a television show is the executive producer showrunner. Now there might be other executive producers who are supporting that person's vision, uh, or maybe they finance the project, or maybe they found the original uh, content upon which the series is based. But there's always someone who is basically in charge of, of the creative direction of the series, whether it's a reality show or a scripted series, and even, uh, even in news and documentaries. And it, that's why we add the word showrunner, because we just want to make sure that, that, we, that everyone out there knows that that's the person. There's only one showrunner. <laughs> there might be multiple executive producers. There might be multiple producers. Uh, and and there, there's usually one director. But, um, but there needs to be someone who is, who is in charge, and that's the showrunner. So then under the showrunner, everybody else is under the showrunner in terms of the hierarchy of the, of the show, the making of the show, uh, and that includes the director. So in television, the director is usually hired uh, by the showrunner or whomever to, to then direct that particular episode of that show or the whole series. If, like in the, rea- on, on the reality side, it's actually possible to direct an entire 10-episode you know, series, whether it's Top Chef or you know, any of those shows. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, mm-hmm. so I had, I came up as a director originally, uh, actually originally as a field producer, just going out there and using one camera and telling stories, almost like a news crew. And then I sort of became a multi-camera director and uh, started directing larger scale, um, you know, adventure shows like, uh, like the, like the amazing race. I did the first, first season of the amazing mm-hmm. race, which was amazing, of course. And then, uh, and then eco challenge, mm-hmm. which is a big adventure show. Uh, and then I just sort of segued into, um, you know, being the showrunner of some of those larger shows. And so now for the last 10 years, I've been an executive producer showrunner. And once in a while, I get to also direct. So I basically hire myself to direct the show if I can, if it's possible. So I hope that helps, I hope that helps a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that does, you know, because it, there's oftentimes when whoever my guest might be, um, if it's not something that I'm familiar with, you know, there's a there's a glossary of words that some of us may not be familiar with, and showrunner definitely was one of them. And you help you help me understand that that film and television work a little bit differently. So that that was that was really that was good to know, I, and I appreciated you explaining that. So just just to just to go back to the Amazing Race for just one second. So when you mm-hmm. did that season of the Amazing Race, you were physically out you you i don't know how long it takes to film a show like that but you're you are traveling around the world when when you did that show is that right that's right and and i we could do a whole other hour just about the amazing race <laughs> because it was God, unbelievable we'll, we'll come mean, back to that then Be- because yeah, yeah, right. um, while that show and, and i hope it comes back but um let's let's talk about another show that i know people because we're going to talk about just so people know as you're listening we're focusing right now on this professional side of your life, which is really interesting to a lot of us, but we are also going to spend a great deal of time in the second half of the show talking about what's near and dear to your heart, which is all of the volunteering that you do. So I just want our listeners to know that we will not just be speaking about this, but, but this is really cool. And a lot of people have watched, you know, 
uh, the Extreme Makeover Home Edition, and I thought we could just let's just talk a little bit about that right now because that's that's really pretty cool. So let's share some of your stories with me regarding that. Yeah, uh, for those of you, for those out there who you know may not have watched or maybe just heard about Extreme Makeover Home Edition, it it really was the the ultimate feel good show, you know, of the 2000s. Uh, it started in 2003 and went through 2012, I think it was. And it was, it was amazing. I mean, I, I was working on the amazing race actually at the time that that show started. So I didn't, I didn't get that show started. And I remember, even though I was having a great time on the amazing race uh, and felt very fortunate to, to be doing that. I, every once in a while, I would catch uh, an episode of Extreme Makeover Home Edition, and I would watch it, and I would think, wow, that – now, that's the ultimate, you know, experience for a producer to be able to um, to make television, first of all, and tell stories, uh, and then in the long run, really, truly help change people's lives through, you know, through mm-hmm. my work. And I, and I, I remember watching mm-hmm. the show and crying just like everybody. I mean, I was just, I was a typical viewer mm-hmm. and I, and I, I was like, how, why is this working so well on me? I, these are just deserving families, you know, who, who had fallen on hard times and uh, you know, the, the television crew, you know, cast this family to be the family that was going to receive a new home by Ty Pennington and his whole design team. And the home was built in seven days. And the things that happened during those seven days was so, uh, was so inspiring. You know, the, the, the volunteer spirit that occurred in every town that we went to and we did over the, the, the series did, I, I did over a hundred episodes, but the series, by the time the whole series was over, wow. we did over 200 homes. So 200 homes were built in, in, in all 50 States, by the way. And without, mm. without exception, you know, every, and this is really inspiring to, to hear about literally without exception, every town that we went to to build a home for someone uh people came out of the woodwork to volunteer and it was all about just wanting to help out a neighbor who had you know who had run into hard times and i would be out there at two in the morning you know trying to shoot the television show and watching volunteers show up at two in the morning you know to do gardening or do painting and i would walk up to these people and just ask them why are you why are you doing this and they said well this is a great opportunity to help a neighbor and I just was so heart, it was everything was so heartwarming on that show. And I felt so deeply grateful <laughs> to be able to work on a show where we were doing that kind of good work. And it really sunk into my, my being and also everyone's, uh, everyone's lives were changed that, who worked on that show. I, I, I believe that I, you, you know, we live in what would they, what, what some would say turbulent times, you know, we live in times where there's a lot of, um, I don't know, unhappiness and, and you just have to put the news on, whether it's your local news and a fire, a shooting or whatever, the national news. And I, I wish that every network could also feature, and some locals do, where they feature what's good that's going on. What are we, what is, what can we be that makes us more inclusive and understanding human needs and kindness and like you like you were saying i could feel it just listening to what to you describing this that when people come out i think people want to do good i don't think they always know how to do good or where to get started um but when you when you give and you're kind regardless of what it is whether you know how to pick up a hammer or you know how to pour a cup of coffee you know it just it makes our world such a better place. And I don't care where you are. You've, you've traveled around the world. I've traveled around the world. We all have those same human needs. You talk about somebody that falls on hard times. Imagine if you were the hard t- person that fell on the hard times and somebody's going to stop what they're doing to, to feed your dog or to... Um, rescreen your 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 windows or put a ramp in because you now you're in a wheelchair. I mean, it's pretty remarkable, and I I can appreciate how you must have felt in in doing this and knowing that you affected this kind of a change. It's it's fabulous. I, I I'm just curious to know how did you go about choosing people? To, there's so many deserving people. How did you how did you do that part of choosing the people? Yeah, everyone wonders because 
you know, there, obviously there are a lot of people out there who, who have fallen on hard times and could use a new home. <laughs> so how do we pick mm-hmm. the 200 out of the probably hundreds of thousands, you know, across the country that uh, could have been good candidates for the show? Um, it ultimately came down to all kinds of things. Uh, it's not just one thing, but the first one is that the family itself had to, um, had to be des- not just needed, you know, needing it is, is one thing. That's a, that's a given. Of course, you have to need a new home and, uh, you know, need, just need a helping hand. Um, but then beyond that, every family that we chose, uh, we felt sort of deserved it also because so, despite their hardship, they were still finding a way to give back to their community, whether it was through their church or they were doing counseling for, for their you know, couples you know, in their neighborhood. or They were always still, still doing something good in, in addition mm-hmm. to just struggling. And so I know that sounds you know, maybe not unfair, but it seems like, oh, oh okay, they have to deserve it too. <laughs> but it was sort of no. an, an important I- element to the show just from a, from a storytelling point of view. Um, we really wanted to make sure that the audience was on board with all these families uh, and the volunteers, the volunteers of that community Mm -hmm. and the builder who has to volunteer his or her time and all of, all of their resources. They have to really feel like this family not only needs it, but also deserves it and that they're good people. And all they, it just, it just so happened that they, you know, that they, they got a bad break and that became an important formula for us to move forward. So we would get nominations from all kinds of people from local churches, from neighbors, uh, from family members, and then once in a while, a family might also nominate themselves, and we would just accept mm-hmm. literally thousands and thousands of these nominations, and we would go through the families. We had a huge casting department that went through all the applications, and then certain families just started bubbling up to the top. And then ultimately, as the showrunner, we made the decision, you know, which family we felt was was right in all regards. And they also, un- unfortunately, they mm-hmm. also have to pass, you know, like background checks and things like that. We have to make sure that the people we're helping, sure. you know, are are going to be financially responsible and they're not, uh, they don't have some terrible criminal background. And so once, right. you know, once they went through all that filter, then we selected them and then they, um, just to go one step further, they actually didn't know, just so that everyone out there knows who, who, who watched the show, the family didn't know for sure that they were selected until Ty, Ty Pennington and his team got out of the bus and, and lifted the bullhorn and said, good morning, Thompson family, or whatever it was. They knew that they were mm-hmm. a potential selection, but they didn't know until that moment. And that's why when they ran out the door you know, with such enthusiasm, uh, they just gave yeah. Ty a huge hug because they were pleasantly surprised. And they also knew what it meant for them. They knew that they were going to get a whole new uh, lease on life. Gosh. And, and the fact that you can do it in seven days is, is pretty much a miracle as well. I just that's, It's remarkable. And it, it brings me into my, sort of how the volunteering part of your life um, we're going to talk about now. So was Extreme Makeover sort of the beginning of your own love for volunteering? Was that was that how it sort of started for you personally? Well, it definitely took it to the next level. It's funny how people get introduced to the concept of of how volunteering can change their own lives. Everyone, I think everyone thinks mm-hmm. when they're young and they're in college that it's just the thing to do, you know, to, to volunteer. And, of course, that, that is true. You should give to your community. That's how the world becomes a better place. Uh, that's the place you start. But I think it what and so I, you know, I volunteered as a camp counselor at UCLA. They have a great camp called UniCamp, and it's for underserved uh, children in Los Angeles. So I did that every summer, and I, I, I did feel good about it. I remember loving it. Um, but it wasn't until later when I was working on Extreme Makeover Home Edition, and I, and, and I'm not kidding, every day I would, you know, show up on location at the house and see hundreds of people in those blue shirts who were from that community who were just signing up to help out. And it, it just made me um, really think about it, about what volunteering does uh, for me and, and for each individual. And so I kind of studied it almost. I'm sure you could, I'm sure you could if you really wanted to go to college mm-hmm. and like study the theory behind volunteering and how it, how it changes your whole attitude about life. Um, but at, by the time the show was over, uh, I remember thinking, I have to have this kind of thing in my life all the time. There's no way it can stop. Mm-hmm. I have now become a, an addict of sorts, <laughs> you know, and it's not mm-hmm. about, it's truly, it's not just about wanting to do the right thing. That's part of it. But it also is about me being a happier person by giving back in some way. And so I'm, and I'm, I'm just yeah. throwing that out there to all your listeners that it is, 
a really important part of life. And so, and it may not be as easy when you're in your twenties or your thirties and you're trying to get your career going, or you've got a family and you don't have the time, totally understandable to like, to not necessarily have volunteering at the top of your list at that point, because you're just trying to survive. You're just trying to take care of your family and yourself. And that's right. also a legitimate, I think a perfectly legitimate contribution to society. You know, if you're just taking care of your family and yourself, good job. Like that is hard enough as it is, <laughs> you know, uh, and then when you, if, and when you reach a point in your life, and I happened to reach that point, you know, in my late forties where I was like, okay, I'm, I love, love my family and I'm okay financially, you know, what can I do that then took the whole thing to another level. And, uh, and so when extreme makeover home edition ended, I consciously, I said to myself, what am I going to do now? And, uh, and so that was, mm-hmm. that's where rotary came in and quite a few other things. And I don't know how, I don't know how much you want to talk about that, but, but uh, I think well, you know, for everyone, I, I do, I do want to talk about rotary. But I, I also want to, I want, because you are humble, and I also want to mention your incredible involvement with the Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Los Angeles, because you're, you've been doing that for a very, very long time as well, haven't you? Yeah, well, thanks for bringing that up. Another great organization. I mean, there's so many terrific groups, uh, you know, in every community that you can get be a part of. Yes. You know, there are, there, I mean, there's Rotary, there are things like Lions Club, and there's, there's you know, Kiwanis and Elks Club right. and all these things. And of, course, and, of course, all the smaller nonprofits that are created by passionate individuals, whether it's a local food bank or whatever. For me, when I was 27 years old and I was still single and I had just enough money to, like, you know, maybe take a, a you know a, a kid to Magic Mountain or something. <laughs> I thought, you know what? Right. And I, and I was the youngest, youngest of three kids, so I didn't have any any little brothers or little sisters. And I thought, ah, this Big Brothers program sounds really great. So I just went to a meeting and looked into it, and uh, yeah, I got a big brother who was seven years old at the time. Or sorry, a little brother who was seven years old at the time, mm-hmm. and I became an official Big Brother to a kid. Uh, his name was Michael Corral, and uh, he lived in the projects, you know, in Culver City, and I just. Uh, mm-hmm loved every minute of it and I you know it wasn't like a huge commitment for anybody out there who's thinking about it It, it's like every two weeks you know Mm -hmm. or maybe once a week but generally every two weeks you just meet up with your little brother or little sister and you take them anywhere you don't have to go to Disneyland every time you can just go wash the car or (laughs) you know and I ended up having this terrific relationship with this with this boy and his entire family and to this day Mm -hmm. I'm still his big brother very proud to say that I'm his you know his big brother and he and I get together regularly and uh, it's a lifelong relationship, and, and I'm so grateful to have been able to be whatever, you know, whatever slight influence I might have been on his life, but he, he's taken the right route and um, stayed away from trouble, and he's uh, got a good job, and he's got a great girlfriend, and so he's doing all right. I'm very, very happy about it. Isn't that, isn't that just the greatest story? There are a lot of children out there, boys and girls, that can really benefit from having that kind of influence, whether you're, like you say, whether you're that person that goes to Magic Mountain or you're that person that's taking a walk or you're that person that's helping with homework or whatever that is, that that that, that influence. Um, I worked at the Westchester Y for 10 years, and there was a guy that was um, a member of the Y. His name is Michael Bowler. And he was actually um, got the award of the national Big Brothers um, for the work that he did. He was a school teacher. He was, he's like you, a very humble person, but really felt the need that there were a lot of lost boys, and he wanted to make sure that he could be a part of their life. And he took it to another whole level than you did. He actually became very involved with foster and adoption and and took it to that next level where where these kids if they could have permanent housing you know he was able to try and make a difference so when you mentioned something about there's all levels of volunteering that is the truth everybody isn't going to be able to have the wherewithal the time the money but everybody can do a little bit if they want they don't have to be intimidated like oh i could never do all of that well guess what you don't have to do all of that Maybe you work in the office and you just take phone calls. Maybe you like to do administrative stuff. So I think there's something for everybody if they want to volunteer. And and that's where Rotary comes in. And I think that, you know, I think it's important that people know what Rotary is. And I I would like you to, to talk about how Rotary sort of came into your life. Yeah, well, it's funny. I... Uh... <laughs> 
there are people like you're saying there are people who um might choose to do specific things with their their extra time and even if it is only just an hour a week whatever it is they might have a certain passion for something and based on my my time with extreme makeover home edition i do tend to gravitate towards uh housing you know uh, affordable housing for people and because i think if you have a, a roof over your head you're much more likely to be able to hold down a job and be able to be you know contribute to society and then hopefully have a have a family uh and that's better for everyone but uh mm-hmm. but i did also i also didn't want to get too involved in one issue <laughs> i as much as i you know felt like i had to give in that direction i like the idea of um of being connected as a volunteer to the entire community across the spectrum whether it was homelessness or education or, you know, any topic. I, I find it all fascinating and all interesting and all, um, I don't say worthy of my time, but for me, I, I want to contribute to all those areas. So something like this is a long lead up to what Rotary does, but Rotary is a community service organization. It just is just a bunch of people, you know, uh, a lot of business owners and local leaders, uh, but you don't have to be in, in any particular financial status or anything like that. And it is uh, for our club anyway, which is the Playa Venice uh, Sunrise Club. And we and we represent sort of Playa Vista, which is where Facebook and Google is. And we do um, Marina del Rey and Playa del Rey and Venice. Um, we, you know, we have, our club is, we have about 70 members and we are 50-50 men and women. We have all races, all ages. Our youngest member is 20. Our oldest member, I think, is 80. So it is a true reflection of the community, and it, and it kind of runs against what some people think of some of these organizations, that it's a bunch of old white guys sitting around, you know, writing checks. It is so not. Right. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. If you walk into no, a Rotary not. Club meeting, our club, you walk in and you think, oh, wow, this is, this is me. This is a complete, again, reflection of our community. And on top of that, not, so not only are you surrounded by like-minded people from all backgrounds and all ages, you also have a sort of a, an a la carte menu in front of you of the types of things that you might want to get involved in. And uh, I would say every week there is some, some event, whether it's going downtown to feed the homeless or it's like right now we're in the middle of our Adopt-A-Family program. And each there are groups of six uh, Rotary members who adopt a family, and we are going out and, you know, acquiring Christmas gifts, and we're going to go surprise the family, you know, a few days before Christmas and give them the things that they need and really establish a relationship with them. So there are programs like that all year, all year long. And uh, if you're in a club like Rotary, you can pick and choose. And I kind of like that. It's a nice selection of, uh, of, of ways mm-hmm. to give back. It, it, it is. And, and I think it's important to know that this is an international club. And you probably know who Cosette Vergari is. Um, Cosette um, was your past governor. Um, and um, she's, she's local. She went to Westchester schools just like I did. She to be my attorney, um, and um, and and you can do all kinds of things locally for your Rotary, and also up, so to speak, the food chain, and and going out of the country as well, right? Isn't one of the things that Rotary is 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 known for is um, eradicating polio? Do I have that wrong? Yeah, no, that's that's correct, and it's funny, you know, as much as. I joined Rotary to give back to my community, um, which is which is why everyone, which, you know, anyone would join a, an organization like this. And it's and not just Rotary. There are so many clubs and groups that you can join. This just happened to be the right fit for me. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I, I love the idea of giving back to the community. But then as I learned more about the international, the Rotary International, I was honestly, I was blown away. There are 35,000 clubs around the world. And it's made up of 1.2 million members worldwide. So you can pretty much go to any wow. any city in the world, and you look up the city and type in the word Rotary, and you will find a Rotary club. And if you're in Rotary, you can just walk into that meeting, and you will be welcomed. And you can even volunteer while you're there, uh, and you will have friends in that city. Uh, Rotary is just a, um, a really positive influence on the world. And like you said, polio, it, it's such a powerful, in a good way, such a powerful organization and has good, strong financial resources that, that they were able to team up with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And this is back in the early 80s, mm-hmm. and they decided that they were going to take on polio, which for people who don't remember, it was 
horrible, obviously, through the 50s. And I mean, you, when, you know, my parents were married in 1950, and they really debated about, you know, what they would do if one of uh, my older brother and sister, you know, had polio. I mean, it was very common mm-hmm. and terrible and yes. life changing. And then the polio vaccine came out, you know, and for the United States, anyway, it just changed drastically to the point where most Americans think polio is over with and it doesn't even exist anymore. But it's one it's it's a disease. It is a disease that requires a vaccine. And until the entire world is eradicated, then polio can always come back and it can come back with a vengeance. Like within a year, I think they say that if it's unchecked, uh, that and they're not maintaining the vaccinations of children worldwide, it could come back within a couple of mm-hmm. years back up to several hundred thousand cases. So right now, because of the Linda Gates and Rotary, they went from I forget how many cases there were went back then, but it's dramatic. And so now it has gone, it is all the way down to I think two countries. I think it's uh, Afghanistan and Pakistan, or three countries, uh, and Nigeria. And there are just a handful of cases in each of those countries. But the amount of effort that it takes to keep all of the children vaccinated, uh, so mm-hmm. that eventually there won't be any cases, and then it's I think it's three years before they can officially say that polio is eradicated from the planet. And then Rotary will have uh, succeeded in its, in its 30 plus year goal of getting rid of one, actually only the second disease that will have ever been eradicated from the planet. First was smallpox. And just the idea that I belong to an organization that has the foresight mm-hmm. and the ability to, to, to battle a disease on the planet <laughs> is so inspiring to me. And, and they're also doing things oh, like really? um, they're fighting human trafficking. You know, the human trafficking, I, mm-hmm. I heard yes. a number, there's something like 40 million people worldwide are currently considered under some form of slavery, which is most of which is human trafficking. And the worst of it, of course, is the children, child sex trafficking. And so Rotary has dedicated itself to that. It's, it's, I think that's going to be their next big, big initiative, mm-hmm. you know, and it's going to take decades probably. But, but uh, Rotary can do that. They can, they can take that on and, and eventually succeed. I really believe in it. I do. I agree. And I know that one of the other things that you personally are involved in and people are also probably very familiar with is Habitat for Humanity, which I do that. Am I wrong? Did this start with Jimmy Carter? Is that, is that how that started? Or do I have that wrong in my head? I don't know if it, I think it existed before Jimmy Carter, but he certainly has been okay. the, the number one sort of face affiliated that, with, with yeah. that organization. Yeah. Yeah. And he's been great. I mean, he's literally out. I think he still is out there swinging hammers, which is so, so inspiring. You know? Yeah. But, um, so yeah, you, your, your Rotary okay. Club is involved in that well as well, right? Yeah. And not to, you know, not to sell Rotary too much, but, I, but it, it is nice to be a part of an organization uh, and again, it's not just Rotary, but an organization where if you mm-hmm. have an idea for something, you can take it to your club and then your club will probably embrace it. If it's, if it's, you know, if it's a, a, a project that, that suits the mission statement of the club. And so for me, mm-hmm. uh, after a couple of years in Rotary, I was so lucky. I, I came across this guy who, um, who worked with Robert with Habitat for Humanity. And, uh, and I said, well, I used to do Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Maybe there's something we can do together. And he said, well, that's funny you would say that. We are actually building 10 homes in Culver City starting like mm-hmm. six months from that point. And so I thought, oh, my gosh, Rotary Plus Habitat for Humanity, what a great marriage. You know, two of the, <laughs> of the best, best nonprofits in the world coming together here, here in our own backyard. So I went ahead and brought it to our president, our club president at the time, and um, she said, yeah, go for it. So here we are now. We're, we're helping out uh, with those 10 homes, and we, Rotary is basically sponsoring mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the homes. And all of our clubs from our district are going out there and, and uh, helping out on Saturdays, and that will be done in May of 2019. So that'll be – it's sort of like Extreme Makeover Home Edition, but not extreme. <laughs> it's slow. It's yeah. slow Makeover Home Edition <laughs> and for 10 God, homes. Just, so I so hope cool. everybody out there – So cool. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And the moment when they walk in, it's really cool. Families walk into their house. It'll be fantastic. Oh, can you imagine? Oh my God. And um, mm-hmm. you're going to be president of your club next year. Is that, was that what I've heard? Cause, that is true. Cause you, Thank you, cause you need more that, yeah. responsibilities. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you, when you believe well, in something, uh, you know, sometimes you just need yep. to sort of jump in a little bit, a little bit deeper. And uh, I have a lot of, a lot of plans. And I, I think that a, a group like Rotary or any of these organizations, they need more support from the community more financial mm-hmm. support, honestly, from corporations. I think that if there's a company that's in the West LA area that's looking for a way to get back to their community, um, 
you know, any mm-hmm. Rotary Club, but our Rotary Club in particular, I think, is a really good good partner in that in that regard. And so that's one of my sure. goals is to is to up the financial, um, you know, strength and muscle of of a club like ours, and then that way we'll be able to give back even more to the community. And that, by the way, we do a lot of scholarships. We give away tons of scholarships, and we give away mini grants to teachers because yeah. they aren't they, their classrooms aren't financed enough, even just for crayons mm-hmm. and things like that. So we have great programs like that, and um, and I just want to raise more money so we can do do more good. Well, and listen, people don't have to live in California to understand what's gone on here um, over a month ago when those devastation, devastating fires came through. And then mm-hmm. I was at your, your meeting a couple of weeks ago when the discussion was we need to help our fellow Rotarians um, over in Malibu to do something to to just help what's what's happened from the devastation of the fires. So you don't just do things locally you don't just do things internationally you you support one another and i think that that's another really beautiful thing and and like you said I, this isn't to say that that other organizations don't do the same things because they do you just have to find the right fit for you and in your case the fit for you worked out really well um for your your rotary but i am curious to know because of your lifestyle do you miss sort of being on the road and traveling? Do you have this like, oh, my God, I, I really want to, like, get on the road and go do some more away things? Do you, do you miss that, or do you kind of like being home now? <laughs> well, it's a really good question because I, I did spend basically – 20 years, you know, on the road, especially a show like The Amazing Race. I mean, we, we would scout the whole world, you know, once and then shoot the show mm-hmm. uh, around the world. And then we would do that twice a year. So that was like four trips around the world in one year, <laughs> you know. So I was on the road wow. a lot, uh, a ton. And mm-hmm. then a show like Extreme Makeover Home Edition, we were, uh, gosh, I think I was on the road for maybe eight months out of the year, which was Incredible. And then I did a wildlife programming. I was on the road for also eight months out of the year. But I was in Africa and Alaska, very remote location. So it was pretty tough to have a home mm-hmm. life. And, and I remember, um, and it's important, you know, everyone has to, you can't, if you want to have a family, if you're the type of person who wants to have a family, you have to figure out, well, how, how are you going to do all this? <laughs> so I stopped, I stopped right. doing traveling shows for a little while. When, when uh, my wife and I got married and we had our children for about four years, I stopped. Um, just to be home, you know, during those crucial four years. And then, but then I mm-hmm. did get the call for extreme makeover and I went back on the road. So it has, it's a balance. You have to decide, is it worth it? And my wife and I re- literally talked about it and said, well, for this show, for extreme makeover home edition, it kind of is worth it, you know, for you to be gone because you're doing so much good and, and making money and all that and advancing my career. But it was really about the goodness of the show. Mm-hmm. If it had been some other show, like there's so many bad television shows on, on, on especially reality shows. So many. I mean, I, I honestly, mm-hmm. I work in the genre and I, I'm embarrassed by it, you know, daily. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, if it was some, if it was some negative show, I certainly wouldn't have left my family. But, um, but anyway, I'm constantly, co- constantly deciding, is it, is it worth it to be gone? Um, I prefer to be home now. I think, I think that's honestly, I would like giving, giving back to my community. Um, so it would have to be just the right, just the right show to take me back, back on the road. Honestly. How old are, how old are your kids? Uh, 15 and 13. So my daughter's, uh, in high school. My son will be going to high school next year in, in West LA. Do they have, do they have this same sort of, um, feeling about, um, volunteering or travel or, you know, just, um, just that, just being around a dad that's so involved. Do, do they ever want to just like do things with you in that regard? Yeah, they they had come out to Extreme Makeover Home Edition quite a few times on location, and I think mm-hmm. they were inspired by it. And I, uh, you know, they're busy with school, but they are always doing um, philanthropic activities at school. And I wouldn't be surprised if both of them sort of embrace this earlier than I did in my life because I, I wasn't exposed to this level when I was young. And I think they will, Mm -hmm. uh, they've seen the wisdom, the wisdom of giving back. And I think they will probably do it their whole lives instead of just later in their life. Yeah. So let me ask you, my friend, my new friend, looking at your life now, would there be, would there be advice that you would, knowing what you know, what advice would you give to your younger self now that you've, you've lived this long into your life? (laughs) Well, that's an interesting one. What advice would I give to myself? I, I, um, 
to well, your I'm younger constantly self. Kicking my, Maybe the age of your yes, children. my younger self. I think um, mm-hmm. a couple things really quick. I know we don't have too much time, but I, I think that uh, I'm constantly kicking myself for not having been more, uh, it sounds negative, but more aggressive when I was starting out my career or, or literally the first 15 years of my career. I was kind of a mm-hmm. uh, old fashioned, you know, in that regard, I thought if you just work hard and you have a good attitude, you know, that people and you're, you're, you're you know, somewhat talented or you've learned your craft, that people will notice you and they will, you know, give you bigger responsibilities. And that kind of did happen. Um, but I think it would have happened a lot faster <laughs> if I had mm-hmm. been um, more aggressive, literally following up on every lead, you know, really sort of networking more. And I mean, there were many people along the way that I would meet and I just wouldn't want to bother them. And I knew they could help me, but I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't even send them an email or send them a letter or call them because I didn't want to bother them. I figured they were being bothered by all, by millions of people just like me. Um, So I would oftentimes not take that step. And so for any listeners Mm -hmm. out there who are, you know, trying to really climb the ladder in any, in any career, it's, it's not a bad thing to put yourself out there to someone who can help you. Because now I'm in a hiring position and people write me all the time. And I I don't think anything negative about them. It it gets a little negative if they do it, you know, a dozen times a month (laughs) or a year even, you know, kind of annoying. But but if someone reaches out and says, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm a friend of so-and-so, and and I'm really trying to move in this direction. Is there any advice you have for me or whatever? I always agree. And I'm very grateful, actually, that people would, would want to hear what I have to say. So, but I never think negative about it, and, and maybe it can be helpful to them. So that's my first one: is to be yeah, a little bit more aggressive in the in the early stages. But, but. Hmm. do you? And then the, the second how thing. How do you balance? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Do you do you? How do you how do you do all of this and stay in balance with yourself? Do you? Are you a yoga person? Do you do you run? Do you meditate? What do you do to to stay balanced? Well, that's a good idea. I, when I do get busy, I do find myself um, uh, working out more. So for the last literally four years, I, I do Spartan races. If you've heard of Spartan, <laughs> it's a uh, no. I have no. Course. What is that? Oh, it's amazing, Spartan. And there are a lot of them. There's like Tough Mudder. There's all, all kinds of these obstacle course races out there. And I'm I'm in my fifties now, and I've found that I really love the the variety of um, of challenges in in these obstacle course races. So you run through the mud, and then you're climbing over walls, and you're climbing ropes. So I actually train for these events. And uh, this year I did my first trifecta, which meant I did three of these these very difficult races. You know, somewhere in the, in the western United States, and uh, and that kind of keeps me going. So that keeps me. Um, centered, and I also ran the LA Marathon this year. So I think when you get busy, was busy, that the when first you get time? Really busy, you have to take the time uh-huh. to take care of yourself. Yeah, that's my first marathon. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you there are a lot of people that enjoy doing all kinds of things, and and I had never heard of the, the Spartan thing, but you know, I think it's it's good to to keep yourself healthy and to keep yourself balanced, and maybe just. Breathe in some fresh air and, um, you know, take a deep breath, which I, frankly, I'm always trying to remind myself to do. Um, right. So as we look to the future in, in these last few moments, and trust me, there isn't a gauntlet that comes down as your time is up. Um, but I would like to know, and so what? what's up next for you? Well, that is a... Good question. I guess for everyone, you know, what's what's next? Uh, I I do mm-hmm. evaluate things, and um, I, I I have been a freelancer essentially for 30 years. So I, I am I recognize that I'm a freelancer, and I have an entrepreneurial sort of part. Um, I don't think you can be a you know a corporate type person uh, and be a freelancer. It's it's like two different types of people. <laughs> so for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed um, working on some of these feel-good shows, you know, in television and adventure shows. But my gut is that it's time for a, some new venture uh, that's around the corner. And I don't know what mm-hmm. it's going to be exactly yet, but I think it, it, whether it's a partner, mm-hmm. you know, with, with a certain level of resources and they want to launch a new sort of media enterprise, you know, I'm really into virtual reality mm-hmm. now. I think it's a, a very interesting place and augmented reality. I love that world and I'd love to take sort of my – experience in nonfiction storytelling and apply it to a new technology mm-hmm. that makes me creatively very excited. Or it could be internet-based. I have a, a good dozen, you know, internet um, ideas that I'd love to launch someday. But, or it could be an existing company mm-hmm. that just wants to take, you know, take all that experience and apply it to some new specific uh, operation of that company. But either way, I feel like there's something new and big on the horizon. I've done my, 
I mean, I'll, I'll continue to work in television, I think, because I, I just love it. But I think there's something else uh, mm-hmm. coming around the, around the corner. We're all, you know, in entertainment, <laughs> in entertainment yeah. everyone is, this sounds negative, but everyone is a, what I call a prisoner of anticipation. Because <laughs> you're always mm-hmm. looking agree. at the next project or the next job or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's a good thing. I actually think it's what keeps us going, is that there's always, you never know what's around the corner. My, my, everyone's in the entertainment. No one's future is, is clear. And that is, that's what makes the business uh, exciting. I've never been bored a day in my life, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. I do know that, that, um, that I will continue, of course, uh, after my time with Extreme Makeover, that I'll continue my work with groups like, like Rotary and like Habitat for Humanity and, uh, and also whatever actual projects I worked on, work on, whether it's a TV show or working with a company, it has to have a positive spin because I just can't, I can't make sense of, of – doing what I do in my personal life and then have my career not be positive also. So they're going to have to be in alignment and uh, we'll see what that turns out to be. I was, that was the word I was just going to use, that alignment. Um, you know, I, I'm big into words. Uh, I'm a Toastmaster, but I'm also big into that words matter. And sometimes you hear a word like amazing. We've used that word quite a bit today. But I think alignment um, it, or centering, or just finding where you are. Sometimes, for me, Brady, it's frankly, it's grabbing the camera. I uh, let me just grab my camera. Let me run down to Playa Vista. Let me see if that green heron is out. Let me go listen for the frogs. Let me see if the blue heron is sitting on a fence. It just, it, it, if some people do yoga, some people run. You know, um, I, I need that too. I need that sort of. You know, I, I've just returned from a wonderful vacation, and, and, you know, people need that as well. And and I think that when we just appreciate what's good in our lives and then and then you want to promote what others are doing that are so good in their lives, we can spend more time doing the positives, like Habitat, like Rotary, you know, Extreme Makeover. Those are things that change people's lives forever. Big Brothers. That this young man that you that you knew that was a boy and now he's he's grown, that's just great. And so when people say, "Why do you do this every week?" It's because people's stories are inspiring. People live lives, and somebody might be listening today that says, "Wow, I need to do something like this where I live." This is internet. People live anywhere in the world and listen to podcasts. So why not? be inspired by what somebody else's story is all about. And had I not been in, in, invited by my, our friend Maria Davis, who is also a guest on my show, I know I say that a lot, but I've been very fortunate to have people on my show that do amazing, great things, like like Gwen Pooches, um, that, you know, that mm-hmm. do wonderful things. And it's a privilege to, to do this every week. I, I take it very seriously. I think that storytelling is very important, and it it makes us feel like we're one, as opposed to split. And and for me, that's, that's right. why I do this. So I'm I'm really you, appreciative. Yeah, no, that. absolutely. I was just going to acknowledge that you and I do the same thing. We actually both tell stories about real people, and uh, hopefully, mm-hmm. those stories will inspire others. And that's that's we do the exact right. same thing. <laughs> It's like, it's like that. You know, I'm a little bit older than you, but there used to be this commercial that your mom would remember, and it it was Prell. It was a shampoo, and they were selling it, and 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 they would have like this pyramid, and you tell someone, and then it would be, and so on. And now there's not one thing of Prell. There's three, and so on. And now there's not three. There's nine, and it made this pyramid of Prell shampoo, right? But it, it, it sort of goes through with everything. You know, you tell one person and so on and so on and so on. And you spread the word and you spread the love and you spread the peace and you spread the kindness. Whether you're my, my, my wonderful Simon that's 11 years old that, that started this Share Hope USA um, because he wanted to help the homeless. And now that was eight years ago. You know, there's people doing marvelous, wonderful things out there. And why not share that with people that want to hear it? So I just want to thank you for taking time out in your incredibly busy schedule, Brady, 
and and joining me today on this in this time of really thanksgiving and and peace and love it's 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 very much appreciated well, it's a complete pleasure thank you for having me and thank you for uh for taking the time to tell tell people's stories and and uh and who knows what impact uh, you're having on on all your listeners out there thank you very very much well thank you so much and have a great week everybody and just so you know i'm all over the place with my guests next week I'm having two women from the Girl Scout organization talking about what Girl Scouts do. And I noticed on your website you actually built something in a Girl Scout camp. So, I mean, I know you're in all different genres as well. But I am going to have um, Aaron Johnson and Vicki Shep join me next week talking about the good work of the Girl Scouts. So for now, I'm going to say goodbye. I'm going to wrap it up. Everybody that's on the East Coast, please stay safe. My God, the weather is just horrible looking out there so be safe those of us on this side be safe with the rain and and i'll look forward to having you join me next week and thanks once again for joining me uh on the born to talk radio show with my guest brady connell and now we're going to listen to some cool little outgoing music here we go (laughs) 